Hello, I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the new novel, Atomic Anna. Welcome to Check This Out with the Howe Library. This is the very beginning of our spring series. I'm so, so excited to introduce you today to Patricia Park. She's here to talk to us about our her amazing debut YA novel, Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim. I hope that if you love this book, you're going to go to your library and check it out or go to your local bookstore and buy one or many, many copies. We also today want to send a huge thanks to the Howe Library Corporation and the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation for sponsoring us and for sponsoring this whole series. We're super, super excited to get started today. Patricia Park, I'm super excited to have you today, and I'm just going to read your bio before we get started to introduce you to our listeners. So Patricia Park is an assistant professor of creative writing at American University. Her writing has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Guardian, Salon, and others. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. She's also the award-winning author of Read Jane, and this is her young adult debut. Patricia, hello. Welcome. Hi, Rachel. I'm so thrilled to be here, and thank you to Howe Library. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so I would love to kick it off by asking you, what is this amazing book about? It's about imposter syndrome. It's anybody who feels like they are lucky to have a seat at the table. They feel like they don't belong. And any any young reader, any adult reader who feels like, hey, you know, what's my place in the world? Do I have I earned it here? It's to give them some affirmation and to help them along the way. I love that. I love that. It was super powerful. Um, how about the plot? What is the book itself about? What are, what are we following? Our eponymous character, Alejandra Kim, or Ale, is in her senior year of high school, and she's trying to apply to her dream Quaker college. She just wants to get out of Queens, where she was born and raised, um, and she wants to find a new life for herself. She's grieving the death of her father. She has a best friend who um, is an ally, but questions also what it means to be an ally. Um, Ale gets steeped into identity politics, performative wokeness, code switching between working class queens and progressive Quaker prep schools. And it's just a jumble of confusion as a Korean Argentine American teen. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. Korean Argentine American teen, right? That is a mouthful right there. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, um, about some of the personal connections, because I was lucky enough to get one of these advanced readers copies. This is what publishers, yes, I'm very lucky. Publishers send these out early to reviewers, to readers, people who run amazing book series like this one um, to read them. And you had a note in the beginning of this to the reader, and it said that Alejandra Kim is very close to your own heart and your own experience. And um, so I was wondering if you could just share with us sort of your personal connection to this character and her journey. Yeah, like Ale, I was born and raised in Queens, and when I, I got into Swarthmore College, a Quaker college, and when I arrived, I felt like I was a clerical error. I felt at any time that someone from the register would show up and they'd be like, so there's this other Patricia Park from Queens, and you're taking her spot. Bye. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to language being very kind of chop-chop, New York style, come on, come on, I needed this yesterday. And at Swarthmore, people spoke such polished academic English. And I just, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I was continually playing catch up. And I was channeling a lot of those experiences into a younger Alejandra uh, navigating her senior year of high school. Yeah. I just say it broke my heart to start the book by reading that, to know that you went to school, right? Wondering when they were going to call you and tell you it was the wrong Patricia Park. 
And it just, you know, sort of set up the book for me as this way of like, is it the wrong Alejandra Kim, right? Like, is she going to feel the same way? So it was very powerful to see that you have that connection and that you're open about it. So thank you. Thanks. I mean, Rachel, imposter syndrome is real. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, before we keep going, um, for our listeners who are not familiar with the book and your amazing writing, would you mind reading to us the first paragraph and sort of introducing us to your world? Sure. When you have a name like Alejandra Kim, teachers always stare at you like you're a typo on the attendance sheet. Each school year, without fail, they look at my face and the roster and back again like they can't compute my super Korean face and my super Spanish first name. Multiply that by eight periods a day and boom, welcome to my life at Quaker Oats Prep. Um, bam. I mean, right? And that, what, what an opening. Um, you know, one of the things that I sort of uh, thought a lot about as I was reading this is you're very careful and, and all the publicity, this is, you know, the publicists are very careful to call this a YA novel. And yet what's in here is so much deeper and broader than that, right? I think people of all ages are thinking about imposter syndrome and these notions, right? So I wanted to ask why um, put this into a YA story? You know, I, I really have my students at American University to think they were very interested in writing YA, reading YA. And as an educator, you know, it was on me to to figure out what they were trying to do. And I just I started with their recs. I went um, I went and branched out and I just so fell in love with this freshness of voice. Rachel, what YA can do that I don't see happening as as powerfully in the in the adult world is that it can give voice to this immediacy of the teen experience. Things are happening hot, hot and quick, and characters, young characters are processing in real time. So there's this kind of rawness and immediacy to an experience told in a fresh and honest voice and tackling issues of social justice in ways I have not seen in, in other genres. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a that's a great reason to do it. And I think you're right. There is that immediacy, right? As opposed to let's bury it and think about it later, right? Yeah, let's retrospective narrators 30 years ago, when I was in my senior year of high school, it's a, it totally just feels completely different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the first things that you talk about in the book very early on, so we're not going to give any spoilers um, away here, is you talk about the origin story and how Alejandra feels like people always want to know her story, right? Who are you? Or like, what are you? Right. And um, sort of be, to be put in that box right away. And I was wondering if you could talk about that feeling and how she sort of right thinks about that throughout the book. Well, first, Rachel, as a native New Yorker, I call it origin story. <laughs> Versus origin story. <laughs> so her origin story, she's, you know, Allah's at this point, she's 17 years old. She's so tired of people looking at her name, face, race, peoples, and just demanding to know, like, what's up? What's the story behind, you know, your Korean face, your your Spanish first name, and your American accent? And I, I this is echoing what I feel like a lot of teens, a lot of BIPOC adults, a lot of folks are just feeling like, hey, you know, can can you meet me on my terms um, versus kind of imposing um, uh, imposing questions or imposing um, their own ideas of what your origin is. Origin. There I go again. Origin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I think this <laughs> is such a real with me. <laughs> but I love it. I think this is such a bigger issue of the times, right? This need to say, what are you? Um, and I was talking to another author on the series earlier, Jonathan Escoffrey, about the same thing, this need for people to to meet you and say, what are you? 
right? Before we can become friends, before I can talk to you, I need to know your origin. (laughs) I have made you come to the dark side. (laughs) I'm happily there. (laughs) So I love that you're presenting it because I think there's a lot of stress built into it, you know, and Alejandra feels that in the character. So um, did you like, have you had people talking to you about this a lot or asking you about this? Um, you know, I, um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just so interested in, uh, I don't know, a lifetime of people just demanding this of you. And, and I, I, I will admit that to some extent I, I perform or I did perform to cultural expectations, especially as somebody who is an Asian American woman, you know, when people are asking probing questions, instead of being like, shut the leap up, like, leave me alone. You're just like, okay, I'll answer it. You know, I'll do the dutiful thing. And it's really through my writing that I've started to challenge this. Um, you know, I wrote a an op-ed for the Times, uh, for the New York Times last year called I'm Done Being Your Model Minority. And it's really, I wrote it in this moment of anti-Asian hate. And for me, I'm really challenging this idea of the tutelage we've been told and characters like Allah have, have been told, you know, we're guests in this country. Forget that you're born here. Keep your head down. Do your work. Don't make waves. Um, and I think through Allah's story and through imposter syndrome, I I, I want to challenge that and to show that we are more than just a, a name on an a mispronounced name on an attendance sheet. I absolutely love that. And for anyone listening, if you haven't read her uh, op-ed piece yet, go read it. Look it up in the New York Times. It was amazing. As is her piece in the New Yorker. It totally brought me to tears. Moving along, I wanted to talk to you about language. I love that you brought it up. It felt like you were in my head because that's one of my questions for you. Um, so Alejandra really spends a lot of time um, sort of sorting through her layers and coming into her own, right? And one of those uh, ways that we see that happening or the way that she changes is through her language. And in the beginning, she's a little scared to use her queen's sort of talk and attitude, right? And it comes out slowly throughout the book. And I would love it if you could talk to me about how you thought about language and her character growth. I'm I'm always thinking about diction and syntax and and how do these choices that we make, how do they indicate where we're from and where we want to say we're heading to? So Allah's super careful. Um, you know, when she's at Quaker Oats Prep, she uses her big fancy words. She uses complex, complex sentence structure. She uses really PC, the PC terms, right? Instead of, uh, she uses the term Latinx. Instead of when she's back home in Queens with her friend Billy Diaz, he's like, yeah, he's like, He's like, I use the word Spanish. And she's like, and then she's correcting him. She's like, it's Latinx. And as she doing as she's doing it, she's like, wait a minute. Now that I'm back in Queens, these PC terms feel kind of horny and fake. And this is not to discredit the importance of using the right, the right terms, but she's in this moment where she's like, oh, I'm just I'm saying the right things because that's what I'm supposed to do. But she's just it takes her the journey of the novel to kind of figure things out for herself. Yeah, I love that. And you literally wrap that up in the Korean empanada, right? And you, <laughs> you put it all together. Um, could you just talk for a minute about that food and like how the Korean empanada came to, you know, comes together for you in the novel and that symbolism? I just thought it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, every Christmas, my aunts um, make Korean empanadas and it's like this really culturally confused mix. So Ale and her father and, you know, her mother, their family make these Korean empanadas. So you take like a Goya wrapper and you stuff it with Korean chapchae noodles, cellophane noodles, ground beef, Spanish olives, um, and hard boiled eggs. And it's this kind of neither this nor that food. 
um, and it's deep fried, whereas the traditional Argentine empanada is is baked. But Koreans don't have a baking culture. We have so so you know you take pieces from the from one culture, mix it with another, and um, Al is often thinking about these empanadas, and she keeps trying to make it, keeps trying to make them, and she never quite gets it right. But it was never right to begin with. It was a cultural perversion, which I think is really a beautiful thing. Yeah, and she loves them, right? I mean, that's the point of it, too, right? Come on, come over for the holidays, and, and we'll have some, and we'll, I we'll love to. Yeah, I'm we'll happy to give you out on that. <laughs> they sound amazing. Um, so, you know, still on imposter syndrome, um, you had this beautiful line where um, about halfway through the book, you wrote, at what point does the imposter you start to become the real you? Right. And this is one of the big struggles throughout the book. And I'm just dying to say, can you talk about that? <laughs> can you tell me about that, Patricia? <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, we see Ale with these these continual pulls. You know, she is one way. Um, in Queens, she's one way at school. And each year that that's gone by, she's kind of taken taken pieces from each. But I think the the big takeaway is that from my own experience, you know, I've often been told like, oh, you have imposter syndrome. And I'm like, you're right, I do. And it's only recently that I've started to question this. And actually, Ala questions this right up to the end of of the novel where, you know, it's, it's one thing to say we have imposter syndrome and to, to go through that journey. But I, my secret or not so secret agenda with this book is so that we can tell women, girls, um, adults that uh, let's, hey, let's make this term obsolete. Let's, Ala will graduate from imposter syndrome and kind of uh, leave it behind. And, and I'm hoping our readers can too. I love that. Um that that's very it's just so inspirational which i felt like the book was as well so i love to hear you say that um another one of the uh imposter syndrome layers i'm going to say there's like so many layers keep going back to the empanada here right like the layers <laughs> the layers wrapped up um is money she's a scholarship kid right and one of my favorite scenes is this moment where alejandra goes to lunch with some of her classmates and they are ordering these big platters of pancakes, right? Or quinoa, whatever, right? These sort of <laughs> fancy, uh, you know, big platters. And she has money for green tea. And she's sitting there thinking, if only I could get a grilled cheese, right? <laughs> and then the bill comes. And then there's this moment one says, let's split it because that'll be easier. And she has this moment of panic, right? And she's always worried. How is she going to pay for college? How is this going to work? Um, and I just thought that was a beautiful way of connecting also to this imposter syndrome. Can you talk about money and how, you you know, you use that in the book? Yeah. Well, with that scene where where one of the, her classmates says, hey, let's just split it. She's actually an Asian-American who says that. So I'm, I'm also just trying to show that there is so much of a range and so much of a diversity even within one, you know, one seeming monolith. But money, I mean, in New York, you know, money, money is everything. Talk is money. Everything is money. And being from Queens, you know, Allah's parents are, um, you know, they're they're working class folks. Um, money's always been a struggle. She defines herself right from chapter one as a scholarship kid, 90 percent. And Ma never lets me forget about that 10 percent we owe each year. Her mother's a home health aide. And um, school lunches are so fraught for going out to for food, bringing in your school lunches. Allah has this kind of down market Wonder Bread and Kraft Cheese sandwich. And her friends are drinking kale juice and quinoa this and cauliflower, you know, pizza crusted that. And and class is just so scripted into these quotidian details. I, I, as a novelist and as a native New Yorker, I'm really interested in that. 
Yeah. I thought it was another great way to just show how she's on the outside. And then you show us her friends, too. You know, I feel like so we see a lot of Alejandra, but then we also see where she realizes she's made mistakes and with some of her friends. And so, for example, she looked at one girl, Claire, and she thought for years in high school that Claire was one thing. And then she finds out, wait a minute, Claire is something else. Right. And she's saying, have I made a mistake all these years? Can you talk about that realization? There is a lot of that happening. And what I want to do is challenge stereotypes. Actually, um, Alejandra and imposter syndrome's origin, speaking of which, comes from my first adult novel, Rejane. And there's a, a minor character who's a stock boy at the grocery store. His name is Juan. And for the longest time, Jane thinks that Juan is H-W-A-N, fresh off the boat from Korea. And at the very end of the novel, her uncle's like, no, duh, he's J-U-A-N, you know, an Argentine of ethnic Korean descent, just like you're an American of ethnic Korean descent. So my protagonist, you know, I, I gave her a little punch, you know, like she was guilty of stereotyping. And, and that character of Juan Kim is actually Bapi in imposter syndrome. Um, so I'm very fascinated with this. I love this idea of secondary tertiary characters being round um, and that they and our own characters, right? Our own protagonists, they're not perfect. They make they make assumptions all the time. Claire Devereaux is this seemingly waspy, sorry if that's offensive to use that word, um, but I feel like it's punching up, right? Um, she's, you know, tall, blonde, um, fair-featured. She's, uh, Ala describes her as bland, pretty in the face, like a Madewell model. And and Ala just feels like this, like, small ethnic assistant scurrying around um, around the deity that is Claire Devereaux. And, and Alda starts to learn other things about her that make Claire's life seem more complicated than it is. And there are continually characters like that. And and for me as a novelist, I take pleasure in that versus having all these stock characters that are just foils for the for the main character's journey. Yeah, I love that. I think that's why it's such a full book, because you really show us where she falls down. Right. It makes her own mistakes, even though she's right. Trying to find her own way. And then, of course, you have the dry cleaner. Happy day. And I love it. You describe it as it sounds all broken Englishy, like long time no see or me love you long time. It's basically an open invitation to make fun of the name, like a kid with a kick me sign stuck to his back. And yet the owner lives in a huge mansion and drives, was it a Mercedes or a BMW, right? <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you talk about Happy Day and the role of that in the book? Again, stereotypes, right? Or, or you know, I'm as a Korean American from Queens, my whole community is people who own small businesses um, in, in in New York City, bodegas, grocery stores, dry cleaners, nail salons. And I don't think that the patrons who, you know, who, who go to these stores, I'm not sure how much they give space to like, what are their stories? They're just kind of these invisible um, service workers kind of just fading into the background. But I want to tell our community stories. So there's a lot there. And also, you know, in my parents' store um, where I worked at growing up, I would see so many broken English signs, you know, like Dan and yogurt spelled like without, you know, yogurt spelled with like an extra, you know, U or missing an R. And I'd be like cringing, you know, I'm like eight. I'm like, oh, how did I, I now see those signs and I see them all over the bodegas and all over the stores in the city. And I now feel like I, I feel a moment of heart um, and empathy towards them. I was yeah. humiliated as a child, though. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a difference. And you write about it um, very eloquently in the experience of that during COVID-19 and the lockdown, right, in the New in your New Yorker article. 
So I don't, could you just give us 30 seconds on that? Because I want to plug that article. It was so oh, good. Oh, gosh. Uh, thank you. Um, no, I, um, uh, it was AKA how I spelled your sabbatical. Um, I was working in my family's grocery at the start of COVID. My, my parents are, my father's uh, immunocompromised. And I just, you know, there was such a moment of uncertainty in year one of COVID. And so I was working and no other businesses were open. And you just start to see moments of humanity, but also the lack thereof in these kinds of times of crisis. Um, and I just I felt that it was I just felt this obligation to show what a lot of workers were going through during those times and uh, the counterpoint to the work from home COVID experience. Yeah. And it was done so beautifully and so movingly. And I felt like those same sort of emotions and observations were very keenly woven into this book as well. You know, that the different voices that people use when they're in the dry cleaner, right? And they think someone else is listening or not listening or what they think of the people behind the counter. Just really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I one plug for another minor character in the book. Like, we're oh, yeah. All these minor characters. There's this one moment where Ala and her friend Billy they go to a midtown deli called Melty's, and there's this this girl, a Korean girl working working the grill. She's like the sandwich girl, eleven or something. Right? Yeah, she's like some yeah. little kid, you know, a young kid. Uh, well, she's gonna go off and have her own adventure because I'm secretly creating the Patricia Park multiverse where all my novels are linked. Um, Ree Jane is linked to imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome will be linked to my next YA called What's Eating Jackie O, which is about an aspiring teen chef um, and who who is um trying to express herself through her food journey. I love that. And you know what I have to say? She definitely stuck out. Like as soon as you mentioned her, I remembered her. So she was definitely a memorable character. And I can't wait to read that. I'm in. Oh, thank you. In. <laughs> Thanks. You've been sucked into the Patricia Burke multiverse as well. <laughs> yes. And I love it. Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit and ask you about the process of getting this published. So you have an adult novel, Rejane, and this is your first YA. Can you talk about sort of anything that you've learned through this journey of publishing? Sort of what was the hardest part? I think of what I've learned, at least in terms of the publicity and promotion, is that with adult publishing, you're targeting the end reader from, from all that I've learned from industry folks. So that's why media, all this review coverage, all, all of this stuff is so key. But actually in the, in the YA and children's world space, you are targeting educators, librarians, um, thank you, Hal, and those folks are the ones who can be the conduit to the to the younger readers. So it's just been such an eye-opening experience for me, especially as somebody who once worked in adult publishing, um, uh, you know, and um, yeah, so that, that's one thing that I learned and um, I'm, I'm just open to the process. Yeah. I love that. So what was the hardest part about the switch? The hardest part was how much I didn't know, you know, um, that I would be working closely with school and library marketing at, at you know, Penguin Random House. And and that I, I think as adult writers, we have so much pressure on us to um, to build our own platforms, to do this, to do that, to do, you know, all of that. And we still have to do that in, in the YA space. But I think it's I think it's also trusting that there are these um, great networks like my editor is plugged in. She knows. She knows the right hands to get things to. I'm learning myself. I'm reaching out to all the educators um, who taught Rejane, um, the librarians I worked with in the past, and, and saying, "Hey, you know, if, if you're interested, um, you know, here's here's a new book um, in in YA that I wrote, and uh, be delighted if if you if you enjoyed Allah's journey." Um, that and just the sense of community. I've 
been really um, welcomed by a lot of YA writers. So it's been so rad. I feel like I've been giving, being given a big hug. I love that. Also, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I think of Patricia Park as someone who knows the industry so super well. I I look at Patricia Park as someone to teach me. So to hear that you have a lot to learn, that's amazing. Oh no, so many gaps, yeah. so many holes. Yeah. <laughs> what a jump, what a jump. I love it. So uh, do you have advice for anyone who's listening today who might be thinking about writing a novel or in the middle of writing their own novels? Or what advice do you have for writers out there? Um, I think, I, I like to write diary entries from from the, you know, from my characters. It could be they will never end up in, in your book. Right. And even if you don't write in first person, I just love this idea that you're doing this snapshot. Um, you're just writing about their day and trying to get into their voice so that later when you write a scene with them from some other character's voice, you're already understanding their intentions. And even if you don't ha really know who this character is, just try it. Try it as a 10 minute exercise. Just sit there with your notebook, take some notes and you're like, wait a minute. No, they wouldn't use a word um, like um, uh, cantankerous. That's not in their vocabulary. Instead, they would say like um, cranky. Um, and, and then and then these little decisions inform a composite of a character. So that would be my advice for both uh, emerging and and established writers as well. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but I also wanted to ask, what kind of advice do you have for people who are writing a novel that is so close to their own experience? Um, I think don't be afraid to take departures. You know, um, there's a lot that as much as it might seem like Allah and I have in common, there's a lot we don't we don't have in common. And I think there's as writers, I think there's a little part of us in each character we write, even the not so great ones, too. Um, so so I think about that. And I think if anything, be delighted by the ways that your character pulls away from you, um, even though you feel like they're tethered to your side and see where they wander to. Yeah, that's such great advice. I love that. So do you have diary entries for each of your characters? Um, I do. I did that even, you know, sometimes it's it's just, you know, one entry. Sometimes it's multiple. Um, and then I would also write scenes, group scenes from each character's point of view. I find group scenes to be to be a challenge because it's like, how do you how do you how does everyone like enter stage left? And I can't get the pacing right. So so I write um, I, I write I rewrite each scene from that character's point of view. And then I get them all together in the original point of view so that I know what's going on. Oh, that's such a good idea, because it's really you don't want it to sound like, you know, left hand moves up two inches. Right. <laughs> like what the first like four drafts sound like they're like blocking the scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Walked across the room at, you know, two minutes past this time. <laughs> right. Right. So you so mechanical and so clunky. Yeah. Right. Oh, you can't pop with that. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Patricia Park, thank you so much for joining us today. I absolutely love talking to you and I absolutely love this book. I adored it. Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim. Those of you listening, if you haven't read this yet, Go out and please buy a copy or go to your local library and pick up a copy now. Once again, you're listening to Check This Out at the Howe Library, where we bring you books and authors we think you should be listening to. Thank you so much to the Howe Library Corporation and to the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation for sponsoring this series. Next up, we have some very exciting authors. We have Jenny Jackson coming on March 22nd, bringing us Pineapple Street. Then we have Priya Guns, Your Driver is Waiting, Claire Jimenez, what Happened to Ruthie Ramirez, and Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, Chain Gang All-Stars on May 24th, rounding out our series. 
Our producers today are the amazing Megan Coleman and Jared Jenick. Thank you to library director extraordinaire Ruby Simon. And thank you to all of you listening. I hope that you will join us again on March 22nd. Thank you, everybody.